Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh my. This morning, we're going to be at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together to learn about you, to worship you, to be just led by you. I ask you to lead us through this study, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would um, just watch over us, that you would lead us and guide us in ways that only you can. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, but most of all, I thank you for your son Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness in each and every one of our sins, no matter what they are. There's no sin you won't forgive us for. I ask that you would draw us closer to you during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And I ask that your words would be spoken here this morning, not mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 11. 11. 11. <laughs> Starting in verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed, not Abraham, but Abram. Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to the other land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. What do you think that city is? What do you think that city is? The city that's designed and built by God. I think it's the. You think it's in heaven? Yes. Yes. In paradise. You think it's in paradise? I would say I think you're right. So we learn here that Abraham obeyed when call, God called him to leave his home and go out into another land that he would get as an inheritance that God would promise to him. And he went there without knowing where he was going. God didn't give him every step of the way. He just went. And even when he reached there, even when he got there, he lived there by faith. He was a foreigner in this land, living in tents, right? It wasn't like God gave him a city, you know, anything glorious, right? And he did it all by faith. Again, emphasizing faith. But for more on that... Let's go back and look at the story of Abraham. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, 
Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on the earth will be blessed through you. What do you think that means? All families. So who's that really saying? Everyone, everyone on the earth will be blessed through Abraham. What do you think that means? So through Abraham, through his lineage, God brought his son Jesus into the world. So through Abraham's family, Jesus came into the world. Do you think that Jesus' birth and death on the cross was a blessing to everyone in this world? Absolutely. Because of that, we can be set free from sin. We can be forgiven for all of our sins. We can have eternal life. We can have a rich, full, satisfying life when we walk in fellowship with God, right? When we get to go into that intercurtain, we get to have that personal relationship with the creator of the universe, And that happened because God brought his son to this earth. And he did that through the family of Abraham. So through the family of Abraham, all the families of the earth, or everyone on this earth, was blessed. Make sense? I also find it interesting that he will make Abraham a great nation. And that he will be famous and a blessing to others. So what nation did Abraham's family turn into? The nation of Israel. Did you know that? So the Abraham here and his wife Sarah, that's the start of the nation of Israel. Pretty cool, huh? I also find it interesting when it says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Do you think that still stands today? For the people that bless Israel... It'll be a blessing, and for the people that curse Israel, they will be cursed? I would say absolutely. Absolutely. So with all that's going on over in Israel, do you think it's important, not that you agree with their politics or their government, but do you support them as a people group and as a nation, that we recognize them as a nation? Yeah, because God recognized them as a nation. Now that doesn't mean that we agree with their politics, or how they handle things, or things to that effect. But they are God's chosen people, God's special possession, and they should be respected as such. Make sense? Okay. So Abraham, or I'm sorry, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham, or Abram, was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sari, And his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. 
And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards Nebi. So we read that Abram left, just like it says in Hebrews, left his country by faith, right? He's known as this great man of faith. But yet we didn't read this next section. This next section we're about to read, we didn't read about that in Hebrews. Huh. Ready? So Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. Now, the New Living Translation here says that it forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. But I want to read to you from the New King James Version. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So, the New Living Translation added the word forcing him to go down. Egypt, but the New King James Version says that he just went down. So I would say to you that he probably just went down, and he probably wasn't following God closely at this time, right? He probably wasn't spending time regularly with God in fellowship and prayer and worship and letting God lead his life at this time. Okay? Because, well, you'll see what we're about to read. So, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sari, Look, you are, very, you are a very beautiful woman. When these Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of your, of you, of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sari's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sari was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goat, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sari, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, accusing him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. He sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. Well, that doesn't sound like a moment of faith, now does it? I would say to you that any time you have to lie, it's probably not God's doing the work in your life. And here he feels that he has to lie. So he's probably not in a place where God wants him to be 
where he's not trusting that God will take care of him, will provide for him, will protect him. They got to do a mighty work if God is really the one that sent him to Egypt, right? There's only one reason he should have gone down to Egypt, and that was because God sent him. And if God did send him, then he's probably not where he's supposed to be. Does that make sense? So, but it doesn't sound like a very good thing, huh? To lie and say that his wife is his sister because he's worried that they're going to kill him. Right? So if he was really thinking this through, God had just promised him the land, that he was going to give that land to him, right? So God's probably not going to kill him if he was thinking about it right. Make sense? Okay. Well, let's keep reading. Because here we have these moments in Abram's life where we don't read about in Hebrews, because Hebrews is only talking about the, the good things. The only things on his record are the things he did in faith, right? Everything that he did sinfully, he asked forgiveness for. God removed it from his record. Makes sense? But here in Genesis, we read about the highs and the lows. So we read about, we start in chapter 12, the beginning with the high, with him being faithful and following God out into the wilderness. The low, lying about his wife, Sari, going to Egypt. But now we'll come back to another high. You ready? So chapter 13. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into Neviv, along with his wife and Lot. And all they had owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. From the Neviv, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy, with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot, with their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke, broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and Prezizites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us and our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of land you want. And we will separate. If you want the land on the left, then we will take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then we will go left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zior. The whole area was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to the place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plains. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and consistently sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. 
I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp toward Hebron, Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mary, or Marmy, Mari, Mamry. There you go. There he built another altar to the Lord. So here we read in his high moments, what is he doing? In his high moments or in his moments of faith, he's building an altar to the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord, spending time with God. I would say to you in prayer and in fellowship, leaning on him, trusting in him, all of that. But in the low moments, we don't read that he's doing any of that with God. He's not building altars. He's not worshiping. He's not spending time with God. And what is he doing? He's getting himself in a mess, right? He lets some other man marry his wife. Does that sound like a mess? That sounds like an awful mess. So, one thing that I definitely take out of this is that when I spend time with God in fellowship and in prayer, that my life is more guided by him. And I'm following him more closely. And not that my life goes perfect or I don't have problems or anything like that, but I am where he wants me to be. And when I'm not doing that, I'm not always where he wants me to be. So, continuing on, we'll read through verse, or uh, we'll read through chapter 14 here. We'll read more, some about Lot. We've already kind of read some of this before when it came to Melchizedek. So, chapter 14. About this time, war broke out in the region. King Amraphel of Babylonia and King Arioch of Eslachar, King Keldermor of Elam and King Tidal of Gimel, fought against King Bera of Sodom and King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Abda. King Shimber of Zimbium, and King Bela, also called Zor. The second group of kings joined forces in the Siddim Valley, that is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For twelve years they had been subjects to King Keldemore, but on the thirteenth year they rebelled against him. One year later, Keldemore and his allies arrived and defeated the Rephetalites at the Aramath Kirdom and the Zizuites at Ham, the Edomites at Sheav Kiramath, and the Horatites at Mount Seir, as far as the El Paran, at the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mispath, now called Kadesh, and conquered all the territory of the Amakites and all the Amorites living in Hazron Tamar. Then the rebel kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adam, Zambo, Bela, also called Zeor, prepared for battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Keldemar, of Elam and King Tidal of Geom, King Ampereth of Babylonia, and King 
Arioch of Elsiar, four kings against five. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. And as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men, one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives Eskol and Anor were Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Keldemore's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Keldemore's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Haberth, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. After Abram returned from his victory at Keldemore and all of his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheev, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem and priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what the young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of goods to my allies, Anar, Eshkol, and Marmi. So we've already read through that, right? Remember that? Melchizedek and him giving a tenth, him going and rescuing Lot. Yes. So this is the last chapter that we'll read here in Genesis, chapter 15. You ready? So sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. So do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. That sounds like a pretty good promise, right? And what are God's promises? Guarantees. When God says something's going to happen, it happens. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, 
Elziar of Damascus, a servant in my house, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So remember, when Abram started all this, when we started reading this, how old was he? 75. And him and Sarah had not been able to have kids yet. Right? Okay. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Then, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God takes him outside, says, look up, start counting the stars. If you can count them, which you can't, there's so many. That's how many descendants you'll have, Abram. And at that moment, Abram believed, and God counted him as righteous. So Abram believed or had faith. That's one and the same, right? Abram believed or had faith is one and the same. And that when he did that, God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Make sense? We've been over that. So that's a big deal to God. Believing God at his word. Believing him in what he says. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it. The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him, and he killed them and cut each animal down the middle and laid laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him, came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here from this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passing between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Canaanites the Kizzites, the Camerites, the Hizzites, the Prezzites, the Raphites, the Raphatites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girishites, and the Jebusites.
He's given them all of this land. And at this in this chapter, we read that he promises him a son, a descendant, right? And he's over 75 years old. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? But Abram believed, and God counted him as righteous for being in right standing with God because of his faith. The next place we want to go is to Acts. So let's go to Acts chapter 7. So in Acts chapter 7, there's a man who is known also for his great faith, being an upstanding man um, in the church. And he's before the high council, and they're getting ready to stone him. His name is Stephen. He's the first martyr, the first person to be killed for his belief in Jesus that we read about. But right before he gets killed, he uh, he calls out this recant, or uh, he reminds all these high priests, these people who are supposed to study God's word, of their heritage and where they came from. And he reminds them some of the things that they did in faith. But the cool thing about it is he also gives us a little more insight to Abram's life than what we just read. And he kind of summarizes it up. Are you ready? Okay. So Acts chapter 7, starting here in verse 2. So this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. So that's kind of interesting because when we picked up the story, we read that he had le- was leaving Haran, right? But God appeared to him before he got to Haran. So, kind of interesting. God told him to leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans where he lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where we now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even a square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. So when did that happen? Can you think of when that happened? Where they were oppressed in a foreign land for 400 years? When they were in Egypt. So remember, there's another time when there was a famine. But during this time, God had sent his servant Joseph to the land of Egypt, right? But not as a king. He sent Joseph there as a slave. And then Joseph was in prison. And then through a work that only God can do, Joseph gets out of prison and is placed as second of command over the entire nation of Egypt, right? So he's like, if Pharaoh's the president, Joseph's like the vice president. And this vice president does a lot of the work. And so that's how they ended up in Egypt. There was a famine, they ended up there. But over time, Joseph died, Pharaoh died. Other pharaohs or kings came to be in power. And they enslaved the Israelites. And then this man named Moses came around. Moses in the Red Sea, remember that? So, that's the time that that they're talking about here. So, 
God told him that his descendants would live in the foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. And what do they do? They cross the Red Sea and they worship. And they left with great wealth, right? Just as God promised. God also gave Abraham the... Uh, yeah, that was it. Just through, just through verse 7. Not bad. I was getting ready to start verse 8. So, it gives you... Stephen's account gives you a little more insight. That God first met him before he was in Haran. So... Pretty interesting, huh? Is it cool how you read different parts of the Bible and you learn more and more of the whole story? I always like that. Okay, but that's... We're not studying the Old Testament. We're studying Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read these three verses that we're studying again. And then I want to look at what the rest of them mean. So, Hebrews chapter 11, to remind you of the verses we're looking at. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave his homeland and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. God didn't give him every step of the way. Remember, he moved section by section to discover the land. And even when he reached the land God had promised him, he didn't get to go live in a palace or in a mansion or in a city. He lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob. We didn't get to them, but those are his descendants, right? Who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So that's the part we want to, we'll spend the rest of the time looking at. This Abraham was constantly looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. So, and where do we think this city is? We talked about this just a little bit ago. Where do we think this city is? Is designed and built by God? You think it's in heaven? I thought you said it's paradise. In paradise. Yeah, it's like paradise. It's in heaven. This city that's designed and built by God that has eternal foundations. What are the foundations of a city or the foundations of a building? That's what it's built on. That's what it stands on. So this city has an eternal foundation, meaning it will last how long? Forever. There you go. So this city will last forever. Now, how do you think Abram or Abraham knew about this? I would say to you that God told him about it and that he was looking forward to that so him living in tents or this time here on earth was not abraham's motivation his motivation was not wealth or earthly possessions living in tents you know was not glamorous by any means right especially in some of the desert areas that would not be fun i would not enjoy that would you enjoy that no air conditioning and they wore robes, and they wore undergarments, and lots of clothing, man. lots of sweating, stinkiness. You. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but 
That was not his focus. His focus was on this eternal city, this city built and designed by God. He was looking forward to his Messiah, right? To his Savior, to paradise, to life everlasting. They could only be found in Jesus. So let's look at that part a little bit more. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And then we'll come back to Hebrews, some of the chapters in Hebrews. But Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. So all the way to the back of your Bible. Are you there? Are you there? Revelation, back of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible. Verse, or chapter 21, starting in verse 1. So the person that wrote the book of Revelation is John, the Apostle John, right? And he writes it, he's um, taken in spirit up to heaven and he's told to write down all the things he can, but he can't really write them down because he says they're so glorious, so amazing that words cannot even describe them. But he writes down what he can, okay? So... This is a recount of what he saw when he was up there. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone also. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all the blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, and those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this is what Abraham, or Abram, was looking forward to. And I would say to you that God probably told them about it, similar to what we read about here, that they will create a new heaven and a new earth, that this new city with the eternal foundations, this new Jerusalem will come down, that God will be among his people, right? That Jesus will rule and reign right here on earth. And then he'll create a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And this will be the eternal place that we'll live with God. Right? And that when we're here, 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Doesn't that sound like something to look forward to? So when Abraham was looking forward to this, do you think he was looking forward to the city? Or do you think he was looking forward to all the promises of getting with the city? And I would say to you, probably both. But doesn't that sound a whole lot better than living in a mansion or having possessions here on earth? Is what do we have in eternity? And in eternity, we have God's promises, which are guarantees that no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. So let's go back to Hebrews. We're going to look at just a couple other verses in Hebrews as we finish up here. The first one is going to be Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we're looking forward to the the new Jerusalem, the home yet to come, right? Our eternal home with eternal foundations. This world, this home, this place that we live at, this is just a temporary dwelling, like living in a tent, right? It's a temporary thing. Tents aren't made for forever, are they? They're not made for long periods of time. That's a temporary setup. You tear it down and move and set it up again, right? But that's not where we're headed. We're headed to an eternal home. To a home that is free from sorrow and death and pain and destruction and all the things that that, that make this place so tough to live. So, last place we'll go is Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, starting here in verse 16. So Hebrews 6, 16. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath, so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So when God gives a promise, he never changes his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. So if someone gives a promise or an oath and then changes their mind, then that's a lie, right? But it's impossible for God to lie. So when he says something, it's going to happen. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold up the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inter-sanctuary. Right? So that when we trust, when we believe in God, that we can trust in everything he says. 
So when he gives us this guarantee of salvation, this guarantee of a better life to come, that that's going to happen. That everything he says is going to be true. That we who flee to him, we who trust in him for refuge, can have great confidence, right? So where do we go in times of trouble? Most time we go to God, right? And that's where we grow. That's where our faith grows. So it's partly why he allows those troubles to come into our life. But when we go to him for in our times of trouble for refuge, we can have a great confidence that he will take care of us. So that when he says something, when he says that we'll have eternal life, we'll have forgiveness from our sins, that it'll be removed from our record. Can we believe that? Yes. Because when we read through the book of Hebrews, we just read about the things that Abram or Abraham did in faith. We didn't read about the other stuff, huh? And why do we not read about the other stuff in the New Testament after Jesus died for our sins? Because Jesus died for Abraham's sins too. And that they were removed from his record. So, we should know a few things. One, God does what he says he does every single time. So when he says that he will forgive your sins and remove them from your record, he will do that every single time. There's no sin he won't do that for. And two, we should not get caught up in all the things of this world, right? That this world is a temporary home. So when we get worked up on what gets said on social media, what other people think about us or say about us, we don't really have the right perspective, right? That this home is temporary. This is a tent, and that our permanent home is in heaven forever with God. And when we get there forever with God, what is also not going to be there? There's not going to be anybody slandering anyone, anyone gossiping about anyone. There's not going to be social media up there. There's not going to be any of that, right? So when we're tempted to get worked up and get caught up into what other people say about us or what other people think about us, remember, this is only temporary. This is not our permanent home. What they say is irrelevant. It will not last for eternity. There is no more sorrow in the New Jerusalem. There's no more sorrow in heaven. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more sadness. There's no more none of that, right? So all of that stays behind in this temporary home. So it's not worth getting worked up about. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And what's the best way to remind ourselves of that? What did we look at in Abraham's life? The times that he was living by faith. What was he doing? Actively worshiping and having a relationship with God. And the times that he wasn't living by faith or doing things that he shouldn't have been doing, like lying about his wife and allowing another man to marry her, he was not walking, worshiping, and having a relationship with God. Does that make sense? All that makes sense? Okay. Well, that's where we finish today. Do you have any questions? So... You don't have any questions at all. Like, you understand there's no social media in heaven. You got that? There's no cell phones in heaven? There's no FaceTime? No Facebook? No YouTube? No YouTube?
Insta. No YouTube Shorts. YouTube shorts about fixing your car. <laughs> it's God's YouTube. Yeah. I think there's going to be instant replays in heaven. You can see some of this stuff. You can see more of the stories. Okay. Okay. Anybody else have anything? No. All right. You ready to pray? Yep. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come and learn about you, to worship you. I just ask that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would enlighten us, that you would guide us, that you would protect us, that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant us patience and wisdom, knowledge, understanding, compassion, that you would give each one of us a heart after your own heart, that you would lead us and guide us to do your will, that you would lead us and guide us to a deeper relationship with who you are, with you for now and for all of eternity, that you're always with us, even when we make mistakes, even when we fall short, um, as we read about with Abraham, that you were still there. You didn't abandon him. You didn't leave him. You didn't give up on him, and you don't give up on us. But when we fall short, we would be quick to ask you for forgiveness, that we would receive that, we would believe that, and that we would live a life trusting in you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen.